0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production.
1: Hi, and welcome to Lens Me Your Ears, the film podcast that takes a look at new films, either in cinemas, when we're allowed to go to the cinemas, or on any number of streaming platforms, and compares it to films from days gone by. My name is Stephen Cook, and I'm an arts writer and culture writer with the Chronicle Herald and the SaltWire Network here in Halifax. My
0: name's Karsten Knox. I have a film blog called Flaw in the Iris. You can find it at
1: halifaxbloggers.ca. And today, we're taking a look at the world of Danish film, from The Dawn of Sound to the recent Oscar winner Another Round from director Thomas Vinterberg and the new thriller Riders of Justice, both of those starring the omnipresent Mads Mikkelsen.
0: So I think... Maybe I've mentioned this on this podcast. I'm pretty sure I have, but I I, I wanna be I wanna be upfront about it from the get-go that I am half Danish, so I've always had an interest in films made in Denmark, and uh, I am, I think, if you note a a, a special enthusiasm in my voice today talking about Danish films, that's where it comes from. Um, I am more than a little proud that a country of five million people has been able to produce a world-class cinema the way that Denmark has, especially over the past 30 or so years. Uh, I think the first movie I saw from Denmark was probably Babette's Feast. The Oscar winner from 1987, it won Best Foreign Language Film. And Denmark would win again the very next year with Pele the Conqueror and was nominated in 1989 for a film called Waltzing Rgitsi. Uh So that recognition, I think, helped draw the attention to Danish film uh, from around the world, as did the Dogma 95 manifesto, which we will be talking a little bit about uh, on this episode of Lends Me Your Ears. And Denmark would be nominated again for After the Wedding, the Suzanne Beer film, and win for In a Better World, another beer picture that we will be talking about today. Uh, A Royal Affair was also nominated, and that's on our list. We've got about nine movies I think we're going to try and get into over the course of the next hour. And uh, yeah, Denmark has been nominated a number of times since and won this very year Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round. Uh, so we're gonna start with that one. Now uh, we're gonna—you'll notice that we've got a lot of love for Mads Mikkelsen on this <laughs> episode. Do we have of, any choice? <laughs> do we have any choice? I joked with you, Stephen, that 87 percent of all Danish films in the past 20 years have starred Master, Mads Mikkelsen, which I'm sure isn't true, but it's probably just that his stardom. Has given these films a lot more visibility around the world than they would have otherwise. I mean, he's gone to Hollywood. He's been in Star Wars movies. He's been in uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. He's going to be. Oh, he, he was. I you know, quite a lot of success in the James Bond movie Casino Royale. So he's done those big franchise films, and as a result, you know, he is a he is a star, a global star, and uh, he, there's no doubt he's a terrific versatile actor. And he spent a lot of time continuing to make films in Denmark, which is to his credit, I think. Uh, but we couldn't even, I mean, we couldn't even fit in a whole whole episode just on him. We couldn't find time or place for the Pusher trilogy, for Valhalla Rising, The Salvation, Wilbur Wants to Kill Himself. These are all great films he stars in and worth seeing, but uh, we only have so many minutes of our hour. So we should probably just talk. start talking about uh, <laughs> uh, Another Round, which is on Hoopla right now, which is actually quite a delight to find... Uh, that film on the free service that is available through the Halifax uh, libraries. It's directed by Thomas Vinterberg, was written by Vinterberg and Tobias Lindholm. And uh, yeah, Vinterberg sort of set the world alight with his celebration film, Festin, as it's known, which was uh, the shining light of the Dogma 95 movement. It was the first film. and uh, But Vinterberg spent some time sort of in the cinematic hinterlands with movies that people didn't like, like It's All About Love and Dear Wendy, which have terrible Rotten Tomatoes scores, or didn't see, like Submarino. But he made a major comeback in 2012 with The Hunt, uh, and we will talk about that. Uh, since then, he's found more success with English-language movies like Far From the Madden Crowd. Maybe not so much with the Netflix nautical thriller The Command, which uh, is now also available. But uh, this Oscar winner is about four 40-something pals. They're all teachers who get together for one of their birthdays. They seem to be doing reasonably well. But for Martin, played by Mads Mickelson, he teaches high school history but with, not with much enthusiasm. One of his three buddies, uh, now his buddies are played by Thomas Bo Larsen, Lars Ranthe, and Magnus Milang. Excuse even, <laughs> even with my Danish uh, uh, heritage, my pronunciation is not necessarily so great. But uh, anyway, they. Um, one of them hatches a crackpot idea inspired by something he read, that the average person has a deficit of alcohol in their blood, and that... A 0.5% blood alcohol level gives people added confidence. So, uh, and Martin points out that many great men enjoyed drinking. So, so right in the middle of this, we get this hilarious collection of clips of world leaders all appearing more than a little drunk. (laughs) And so they go. So that's that's kind of the setup for a movie that is, you know, on one level a comedy, but it really has a lot to say about a relationship with alcohol, and I think it has a lot to say with Danish culture and its affection for alcohol. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of, of joy in the film. At one point, they all these men experience a distinct improvement in the performances of their lives, a lot more happiness. It's almost a religious conversion at first. Scored to the meters, sissy strut, which I thought was a great choice. Uh, you know, and of course, you're like, H- how could this possibly go wrong? Well, it really, really can. Uh, <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> what did you make of another round?
1: I really enjoyed this film. I, I knew I would. I mean, I've, I've liked the Vinterberg films that I've seen to date, and uh, I, I like this cast. Of course, uh, Thomas Bo Larsen, who plays Tommy, who's who's most deeply affected by this experiment that they're undertaking, uh, he's probably second to Mads Mikkelsen in terms of casting in Danish films, and we'll, we'll probably be seeing him in a couple more things uh, as the show progresses. Well, we definitely will as this show progresses. But I, I just really enjoyed the kind of give and take and the friendship between these four men as they decide if self-control is really a good thing to have if it, in fact does it hold us back from achieving what we want to achieve in our life and and the answer would be uh yeah it's probably good to have a little self-control uh but uh you know the, the, they they're really walking a tight wire uh with this attempt to see if Loosening the bonds of self-control With with uh, with some alcohol uh, Through the course of the day If it, it actually gives them, like you say That self-confidence and that, that sort of Daring and does it make them more, more Likeable, especially you know, like to their students And so on And um, and I, I just like That tension the film creates As, you know, at first it seems like Hey, maybe not such a bad idea And then, you know, then they decide to push The limit a bit more, Martin decides to go from 0.05 to Was the point one point one or something or point one one or something like that and and we start to see the friendship break apart as well as uh you know as their professional and personal lives and it's uh but it's not necessarily cringeworthy i you know i i I didn't you know like because the celebration festin that's a real kind of a white knuckler as all these family revelations come to light here i felt like vintenberg was more you know kind of keeping us in our seats as as the story unfolds and i really enjoyed his control over the story and these bravura performances from from the four main actors and as well as from some of the uh, the other people in their lives it's it's really a remarkable film
0: yeah i liked it a lot too though i will say that You know, this is pretty much a midlife crisis movie featuring white dudes. It's not the freshest genre in the world, no. But it does have a few unexpected twists and turns, and a lot of dark humor. Um, And I I mean, laughing at people who are drunk, uh, you know, and and the crazy things that they do is was once kind of a comedy wellspring, and uh, it's not something that we is is like the source of a lot of humor anymore these days because we know the darkness of uh, addiction and alcoholism. And it, it's a real problem in uh, in society across the world. Um, but uh, there is this moment where you get this knife edge of tension uh, when you know that these guys are going too far. And it's really a question of when that's going to happen, uh, not so much as if. And, uh, yeah, I think it, it really forces – these guys to to sort of examine what's going on in their lives and for martin for the mads mickelson character it's got a lot to do with his relationship with his wife annika played by uh maria bonavie um yeah and i I think i think we learn quite a bit of of how much alcohol plays a role in danish society specifically um you know booze i think is kind of a cultural inheritance for a lot of people and uh you know the the performances are really solid all around uh it there's a a warm welcoming nature to this to the the kind of connection between these guys uh, and even if it's not entirely original i think the performances are so enjoyable and you know we're going to be talking saying this i think over and over again but mickelson is a master of understatement he just does he does what he does uh so well with just a. Uh, just the sort of slight movement of his face. He doesn't need to say anything at all, and he doesn't actually have a lot of dialogue in this film. But he—he, he, uh, I think the other guys talk a lot more than he does.
1: Yeah, for sure. He—he he is kind of the glue that holds this group together. And then when he starts to lose it, then that you know they're really they're really in trouble. And uh, that, but there but there's also this kind of joie de vivre throughout the film that kind of keeps pulling us back in. And it, it ends with a sequence that I don't even want to say anything about with Mads Mikkelsen. Just kind of having this pure expression of joy that is just an amazing amazing sequence um and uh i i also was you know kind of had a bit of a learning experience i guess the drinking age in denmark is what 16 yeah i think Uh, that's right (laughs) So, so of course a lot revolves around the fact that the high school students you know when they graduate like they just go and have a gigantic drunken blowout and it's perfectly fine it's sanctioned by the school practically and uh and you know even the parents kind of encourage it for them to kind of blow off this, some steam after the school year and it's just it's just really interesting to see how they have a completely different approach to uh, to drinking culture than you know that kind of weird balance of shame and and glorification that that we grew up with
0: yeah no for sure for sure yeah it's an interesting film and i, I was it worthy of winning the uh the oscar for best uh, international film this year i'm not sure i haven't seen all the others uh but i'm not I, I still agree that it's certainly worthy of being nominated and i'm i'm uh i you know as i said i'm personally proud to see it uh, see it win and i will probably watch this film again i think it's one that that actually could stand up to a little revisit and that's also a category for me you know how how much can a movie be watched how often can it be seen and that's often for me a, a standard bearer for for quality so uh Speaking of new Danish films that are available now on demand, "Writers of Justice," directed by Anders Thomas Jensen, which you uh, he you mentioned him. He's a a veteran Danish filmmaker as a screenwriter and a director. Um, this is a uh, a darkly comic thriller that serves kind of as a as a reaction to Hollywood's middle aged lead. Revenge thrillers of recent years, those ones that we all know, starring Liam Neeson, Keanu Reeves, and even recently Bob Odenkirk. Um, this is uh, enough, I mean, Writers of Justice has enough scenes of trigger happy intensity to qualify it in that genre, but it's got a lot more going on in its head, including the idea that having someone to blame for life's tragedies, st- tragedies has a lot to do with human beings looking for patterns in the universe, where sometimes sometimes it's just coincidence. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, once again, is Marcus. He's a Danish soldier called home from the front when his wife, Emma, played by Anne Brigitte Lind, is killed in an explosion on a Danish passenger train. Now he's alone with his daughter, Mathilde Andra Hake gadenberg that's uh, the actor who plays her, and uh, their relationship is strained by grief and by Marcus's militaristic intensity. That's when they get a visit from Otto, played by Nikolai Lykas, a uh, computer scientist and a statistician, who, and he was on the same train as Emma, and he and his pals, his hacker pals, uh, Lennart and Emmentaler, played by Lars Bregman and Nicholas Bro, they're convinced that the explosion on the train was no accident, uh, as it also killed a witness in an organized crime murder case. And they hole up on a sprawling barn on Marcus's property, this unlikely quartet, get together, and they try to track down the criminals they think are responsible, a gang called Riders of Justice. Uh, and so, yeah, and that's the part of the film that I think corresponds to that revenge thriller. But uh, this is uh, not just that. It has a lot of humor, and it it, it, it takes time to discuss the results of some of these these decision-making, some of the stuff that people do that, uh, you know, that revenge isn't always the best choice. I think what the film is, is trying to say in its own idiosyncratic way. Uh, Steven, what did you make of Riders of Justice?
1: It's a pretty amazing film uh, that, you know, that, that buried in this kind of action revenge scenario is really a story about these characters and how they cope with past trauma in their lives and how it kind of boils to the surface in the process of, Carrying out these missions to, you know, basically get revenge for for the death of uh, of the man of Marcus's wife on the train, and uh, I, I, it was just amazing how those two, how the themes and the story kind of inter interwove uh, in in such a unique way as 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 almost like well, it's kind of playing out as a popular action movie entertainment, but these these deep seated. Emotions and 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 past traumas that these characters are dealing with, that uh, that really give it this uh, emotional heft that you don't usually get in an action film like this. And I, I would not be surprised if there's an English language remake of this at some point that completely misses the point of what this story is <laughs> about. I I you know I, I I would probably even bet money on it. But um, you know the, the the weird unlikely teamwork of of uh, of Marcus and and the three uh, the three kind of scientists, computer experts, uh, just it, you know, they're, they're kind of like this nerdy three stooges in a way, but, but they all have this real genuine emotional pain that they're coping with at the same time. And, and, uh, you know, so it it takes it beyond the realm of, of, of just comedy. And it it also says a lot about fate and whether or not we have control over, you know, what we do in our lives. The whole thing is set off like this theft of a bicycle, uh, in another country sets off this chain of this bicycle chain of events, uh, Pardon the pun uh, that that brings these characters all together and sends them off on their mission, and it you know it, it was just uh, an incredible experience watching it all kind of unfold and and seeing how these characters either deal or avoid dealing with their personal issues and and have their own kind of breakthroughs along the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that, uh, and and I think. The, the humor, there's this pitch black sense of humor that goes along with this story. And it frequently skates into sort of slapstick and and gross out comedy, but it never lets go of that real tragedy in these people's lives. I think, uh, I you know, I hesitate to make any sort of real uh, call on this, but I feel sort of like a lot of Danish humor has to do with men... Uh, pretending to be something they aren't or pretending to be in control and really when underneath they're a complete mess and i, I think that's uh that i'm seeing a thread of that in a lot of these movies maybe not just the ones we're talking about today but in general like like the masculine tropes in danish society is that that you know the everyone's in control everyone's got things to get holding it together but underneath we're all you know kind of big kids who uh, can't quite <laughs> I can't quite manage to to do that. Um yeah, that's interesting anyway. That's that's my passing uh, observation we'll see, we'll see, uh, I'll see if that's, that's in fact, bears fruit, but uh, yeah.
1: Well, well, looking at, uh, at Anders Thomas uh, Jensen's filmography, it, it does seem like that, you know, there are some common themes running through his films. He's, he's actually, seems to be better known as a screenwriter, but uh, who, who does direct on occasion, you know, every, every five years he decides to make a film, but, uh, and we're going to talk about one of them shortly, uh, Flickering Lights, but there's another one called The Green Butchers, which is, has kind of a weird modern-day Sweeney Todd kind of thing happening like I'm really curious to see that one from 2003 um and again it looks like a very very dark comedy which makes perfect sense considering the two films of his that we watched for this show.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. He's got also one called Men and Chickens that I've been wanting to see. It came out a few years (laughs) ago. Didn't get much of a release here, but I think it is available. But yeah, let's talk about Flickering Lights for a second. Uh, This was written and directed by Anders Thomas Jensen in 2000. And uh, the first thing I noticed about the film with my... You know, broken Danish is that uh, that th- there are some interesting uh, problems with the subtitles. At one point, a character remarks that she's going to have kids with someone and take them to Tivoli, which of course is the famous uh, amusement park in the center of Copenhagen. But the subtitles translates this to Disneyland. But the response was, "You better go to Bakken, another amusement park, because there are fewer Swedes." Instead, the subtitles read (laughs) Better Go to Six Flags, There Are Fewer Canucks. (laughs) So I appreciated this effort to make this understandable for an American audience, you know? But I I did also think that's a bit of a leap too far. Uh, And they also substitute Rich Man, Poor Man for the Danish series Matador. Um, Anyway, so this is the story. (laughs) Flickering Lights is the story of about four low-level gangsters led by Torkild, played by Soren Pilmark. He's just turning 40, his girlfriend leaves him, and he owes a chunk of cash to another gangster, the unfortunately named Eskimo. So he and his three pals, again, a, a foursome, uh, one of whom, of course, is Ulrich Thompson, who I recognize from the celebration, amongst other things, um, They uh, and two actors who show up in Riders of Justice, Nikolai Lykass and, and Mads Mikkelsen. They break into a house, they steal a bag out of a safe full of cash, and they shoot a dude while doing it. And then off they go, and they take over. They take shelter in a rundown farmhouse in the woods, and then decide they're going to pretend to open a restaurant, which they figure will will fool the uh, local community. But uh, but then they're like, we should really do this. We should open a restaurant, and then it becomes this kind of comedy about these four guys trying to reconcile with their their childhood trauma, but also manage their friendship with each other. And uh, I felt like the film got a little slack in the middle, but it does, and, yeah. and the flashbacks to their childhoods I don't think were totally effective. But uh, it, it ends, you know, in many ways a little bit like Riders of Justice. It, it ends in a hail of bullets, where it kind of curves to that action, uh, crime drama um, genre tropes, and weirdly George Gershwin. But uh, but there is a lot of I mean the humor here is is between. Men and their relationships. So, so there is definitely a connection between these two films, between Riders of Justice and Flickering Lights. Uh, uh, yeah, what did you make of the this going back twenty years, Stephen, to Flickering Lights?
1: It, it's funny how similar it is to Riders of Justice, except here our group of men are actually avoiding being revenge the revenge of uh, of Ferengian, the the gangster, uh, whereas instead of being out for revenge, <laughs> so it's almost like the reversal of the they the reversal of the situation they're in hiding they they they've absconded with this money i mean the plan was to go to barcelona uh not to go into the woods and open up a restaurant in the middle of nowhere but uh i like that they're committed to their plan (laughs) and and then and then torquil kind of decides that maybe this wouldn't be so bad and and kind of leads them down the garden path as it were to actually get this restaurant up and running and and that leads to some interesting conflicts you know obviously mads Mickelson you know is playing this kind of hard ass tough guy you know uh, with a with a you know very short fuse and and he doesn't want any of it but somehow he just can't bring himself to go out on his own you know because of like you say that earlier trauma about having abandoned a friend um early on in life so uh it's uh, it's it's obviously a little rougher than uh than what we see in Riders of Justice and not a, not at all that hangs together the the flashbacks are shot in this weird kind of Tim Burton-esque kind of way, like with bright colors and and kind of these surreal settings that don't necessarily match up with the very realistic um, look of the modern day stuff. And it's an interesting idea, but it doesn't really work. But I did like the character-driven humor and and the very distinct characters of the four men that we meet in this film and some of the bizarre situations they find themselves in. So, uh, you know, if you can handle the fact that it's – it does get pretty dark and it's, you know, and then Stefan, his girlfriend, Hannah gets kind of a raw, raw deal over the course of the film including some some violence towards her by Torkild that felt a bit out of line. But aside from that, uh, it, it felt like a kind of a Danish version of an early Coen Brothers film in some ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would go along with that. And I absolutely agree with you. Some of the violence there is, I think it's played for laughs, but is it, is it really funny? Are we supposed to laugh at that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but again, the, the, the darkness and the humor in these films is uh, a lot, more intense than I think maybe we might be used to here in North America. Yeah, some of it works, some of it doesn't, but it's all, it's there's um, there's an intensity there that you either go with it or you don't, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I think of the two, I would say start with Riders of Justice. If you want to explore more of Anders Thomas Jensen's peculiar perspective, then, then maybe check out Flickering Lights. It's also
1: available on Hoopla. <laughs> Hi and welcome back to lens Me Your Ears, the film podcast that takes a look at new or current films and then compares them to films from days gone by, either in the same genre, or with the same actor, or in this case, from the same cultural uh, national cinema, if you will. And today we're looking at films from Denmark, inspired by the recent releases Another Round and Writers of Justice and. Uh, for this segment, I think we're going to start off with a film that goes right back to the earliest days of of Danish cinema, and uh, or at least in the sound era, and that is Carl Theodore Dreyer's *Vampire*. And uh, Dreyer had already made a name for himself internationally, uh, most famously with *The Passion of Joan of Arc*, a uh, a a medito- uh, a very solemn meditation on the uh, the life of the saint and and her uh, her eventual trial and and execution, and uh, that had kind of been an international sensation even even though it's a very very artistic uh very stylized kind of film that a lot of it's shot in close-ups and so on and and his desire to experiment and uh and do interesting things with that with film narrative uh, continues with vampire which was shot in France uh in the early 1930s it was his first sound film uh he decided to shoot silent so that the camera would not be encumbered by all the sound equipment and then post dub everything uh, either in french or german um uh, there may have been an english version but it has not survived and uh, it's been restored from some of these uh, other versions that have been found in archives around the world and it's it's uh, basically the story goes that dreyer saw uh, universal pictures dracula starring uh, bella lugosi and thought, well, I can do that. I can I can make a film like that, that uh, maybe it'll be have some commercial success, but I'm gonna do it my way. Um, you know, I'm gonna be true to my artistic principles and make something that will be very dreamlike and uh, play with our perceptions of reality and the flow of time. And, uh, and it does that in a lot of ways. It's very interesting visually. Uh, I think a lot of rock videos have borrowed some of the concepts uh, from this film, uh, over over the years, in terms of the way it's shot and the way its characters act, and uh, it's uh, you know it can be seen as kind of this dream narrative, or it can be viewed as kind of a straightforward vampire story. You can actually follow the narrative pretty easily um, if you don't mind some of the uh, Lynchian uh, detours that the uh, that it takes visually along the way. And it, it is ostensibly based on a book by Sheridan Le Fanu, the Irish writer. Whose Camilla uh, even predates Dracula, uh, and this is based on uh, some of his short stories that were published under the name, I think, Through a Glass Darkly, which oddly enough would also inspire uh, Ingmar Bergman many years later. But uh, but but here we have uh, Julian West as Alan Gray. He um, Julian West is actually the man who funded this movie. He was a from a well-to-do French family. Wanted to be an actor. His family wanted no part of it. So he actually funded the film and stars in it under the alien uh, under the alias of of julian west and uh, he he basically plays a man who's out wandering who stays at an inn where all these strange occurrences are happening someone is preying on a, a young woman who's uh lives at the manor next door and he gets caught up in this story of uh of de- depravity and uh, and the undead uh in the french countryside and it's 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 uh, it's just a joy to watch. This is the second time I'd seen it. It is available through the Criterion Collection and their restoration. Uh, and the extras that you can watch alongside of it on the uh, on the Criterion channel are, are quite remarkable.
0: Yeah, this is not my first vampire picture. We did a whole episode on right. vampire movies, but it is my first dryer. And uh, I found it, well, I found it a little hard to follow. I think it's that dream logic, even with the handy chapter texts at the beginning to explain the lead character psychology. But uh, I did enjoy the film largely due to the visuals—a lot of special effects that must have been pretty chilling back in 1931. The shadows of people moving around without their corresponding living, you know, bodies. A lot of camera movement, which that really surprised me. I think that must have been pretty shocking for that era as well—the tracking, the panning. Um, At one point, we get the POV of a body in a coffin as the coffin is transported to the graveyard. It's all very creepy stuff, and I think. You know, for a student of film, I think this would be especially interesting for its production values uh, more than maybe its narrative or performances, uh, which I think are pretty stiff, which, you know, typical also maybe for the era.
1: Well, they're also being post-dubbed, which doesn't help Yeah, there's much in it either.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the the, the na- loose narrative of a, of a man who gets involved in the life uh, of two sisters and they're haunted, this village in France haunted by a vampire. I guess they shot actually on location. And uh, yeah, there's actually – I also watched um, a video on the Criterion channel, Guillermo del Toro talking about the film where he talks about that active camera and about death being right around the corner haunting the film. I, I, I'm glad to have seen it anyway. I don't know that it's one I'm going to revisit, but uh, but I, I certainly enjoyed it and, uh, and it feels like a, a bedrock of vampire – lore in cinema it's probably essential viewing for anyone who wants to see it could easily have been part of our vampire uh, uh, episode for
1: sure well it is it is a highly influential film i mean you can see where del toro might have taken some ideas for this and use them in, say, The Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth, for example. You can tell David Lynch must have seen this at art school at some point. And, of course, uh, Canada's own Guy Madden, it it almost feels like it could be a Guy Madden film with maybe just a bit more kind of modern gloss to it. But this almost seems like a template for the films that he would be making out in Winnipeg, you know, many decades later. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed returning to this, especially... You know, having watched it once before years ago, I think maybe on 16 millimeter in the Dalhousie Art Gallery as part of their film series. That seems like the most likely place I would have seen it. Uh, and uh, and just being able to focus on some of the creepy imagery and the unique faces that Dreyer has. You know, there's a lot of non actors that he picked purely because they looked interesting visually, and that's why they're cast in this film. And and that that kind of gives it a little extra heft. There's always something to look at on the screen, something of interest, and uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, you know, not so dependent on some of the heavier dra- dramatic uh, stuff that he'd be doing later in his career. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's just like an interesting take on trying to make a version of a of a universal horror film, but take it completely into the dreamscape. And uh, certainly, certainly way ahead of its time and, and and worth checking out. Certainly if you have Criterion channel.
0: Um, Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm always uh, happy to recommend stuff going on in the Criterion channel because there's so much good stuff happening there. So let's leap forward now, almost 70 years to Italian for beginners, which I have on DVD. I loan to you, Steven. I don't know that it's available easily on streaming services, but Anyway, the film was written and directed by Lona Schurfig, who went on to make uh, a film I saw at the 2003 Atlantic Film Festival, Wilbur Wants to Kill Himself. She directed Carey Mulligan in An Education, One Day with Anne Hathaway, and in 2016 she made Their Finest, the British Second World War propaganda comedy. All these or are movies worth seeing, but uh, Italian for Beginners is very much a Dogma 95 film. Now, Dogma 95, for those who don't know, was the Danish filmmaking movement, a manifesto, sort of a vow of chastity, started by Danish enfant terrible Lars von Trier, and Another Round director, Thomas Vinterberg. Vinterberg's first film uh Festin, celebration was the first Dogma film. And uh, Basically, they turned their low-budget movies into an aesthetic, insisting that the movies under the dogma umbrella be made with only available light, no special effects or technology, no genre films, no temporal alienation, i.e. the stories take place here and now and cleave to realism in the direction and acting. Now, in hindsight, this aesthetic rigor... Was a canny marketing ploy. I think they they never had any money for anything fancy, so they celebrated their limitations, and it worked. The films got a lot of attention on the se- the festival circuits. It they won awards, and it gave the filmmakers who started in the Dogma Manifesto and the Dogma trend uh, careers that went on for years. And then, of course, they promptly broke all of the Dogma rules in subsequent movies. So, uh, so take of that what you will. Italian for Beginners, though, coming out in 2000, I think is Dogma number 12, and it's got a lot of jittery handheld camera that is tough to watch in places, and it was also, I think, shot on video, so it's very, very lo-fi, but it's got a charming story about a group of people in a community, around a church, a number of small businesses, and a hotel, and all these people's paths cross around the holidays three of the characters experience the death of someone close to them and that prompts funerals and revelations and a few of them also attend an italian language class which prompts all kinds of romantic connections it it starts as a full-on drama with a few nasty folks but as we move along it gets a lot softer and a lot funnier and kind of concludes with forgiveness marriage proposals and a trip to venice um now i you know I, I had, I sort of said the dogma school was, was, uh, you know, maybe something you don't need to take as seriously, but, uh, I think it's very much worth seeing these films from this school. If you, if you want to call it that, uh, cause I mean, the movies are great. Uh, I really liked celebration festin, uh, or festin as it's known. It's, uh, and I, I really liked Mufune's last song. I, I, didn't like the idiots as much. I'm generally not that much of a Lars von Trier fan generally. Um, and Harmony, Harmony Corrine's uh, Julian Donkey Boy, also not a fan of. But there's a lot to admire in this. And uh, I think Italian for Beginners might be a reasonable place to start.
1: Yeah, I think uh... – at some point, I think Von Trier was uh, sort of criticized the film for being a little too conventional, uh, even though it strictly adhered to the dogma principles of, of, you know, like you say, on location shooting and low light and not no special effects, only using what's on hand, all those rules that you have to uh, abide by. But I, th- I think it does a great job of of showing that that doesn't have to tell some sort of outre society defying story it doesn't have to be something that's going to make you cringe repeatedly over the course of the film as as Trier is often fond of doing uh with audiences obviously he wants to push limits but that doesn't necessarily mean that this style of filmmaking has to do that every time and the there there, there is uh, certainly some personal stuff in the film that is uh is is very emotional and very touching and and very moving and and uh you know certainly uh Halfin uh one of the main characters who is completely oblivious to his obnoxious nature <laughs> uh you know uh is is kind of both a joy and uh kind of pain to watch at times but it you know again it's interesting watching him go through his uh his process over the course of the film and of course it it like a lot of these films that we watched uh that we've talked about so far you know it shows this skill at ensemble uh ensemble story writing and ensemble uh acting that seems to be a real um key element in in a lot of danish films and this film is is no different in, in the way that it brings all these uh very diverse characters together like andreas the priest who's doubting his faith and uh, Olympia the baker who lives with a very obnoxious and inconsiderate dad you know who, who's basically an invalid and, and and everybody they they all have these pressures coming to bear on them and it's interesting how that affects their interpersonal relationships and that's really what keeps you going through the film
0: yeah absolutely and I, I was really charmed by it I mean I'm a sucker for romantic comedies anyway and how it goes from such a dark again not really comedic but Dark, grim kind of perspective. These many of these characters have very difficult lives, even though you know they're reasonably comfortable, regular, your average Dane. But uh, but then you really you know you see the the suffering, kind of suffering they're living with, and where they get they get their joy. And some of them just their only moment of joy is that like weekly Italian class where they get to practice learning how to speak Italian and. Uh, And the connections they make in the class and the kind of romance that comes from from the Italian language. And uh, that seems to be a real uh, haven for them, which uh, is lovely to see. And then, of course, I think... Uh, most of the budget must have gone on on flights to to Italy because uh, it, it really isn't a movie that looks like much. But uh, when they go to Venice, it's uh, it looks like it's the off season because it's a little bit wet and a little bit grim. But uh, it, uh, it still is it's still Venice, right? You can't can't not love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I was it was a pleasure for me to watch talent for Beginners. But again, with that caveat that uh, the the shaky cam is a little hard to take.
1: Well, I guess we should take a look at another very different look at small town Danish life. <laughs> and that is uh, Thomas Vinderberg's The Hunt. And uh, and that is uh, a film that is quite explosive in, in the issues that it explores uh, with, once again, Mads Mikkelsen. He's Lucas, a divorced small town kindergarten teacher. He's putting his life on track again after a fairly painful divorce that still has... Some echoes, uh, you know, with uh, involving his son and his communication with his ex-wife. He's having a potential romance with a coworker, but one of his young students, she's probably five five years old, I think. Uh, Clara becomes a little fixated on him, and I think she's got a bit of a childhood crush on him. And he tries to diffuse that. He doesn't. He you know he's he's trying to be a professional. He's not trying to doesn't want to show her any favoritism, and also doesn't think that she should be showering him with affection but she's got some family problems at home and he's always finding her out wandering wandering the streets of the town and and bringing her back home and so on so you know she becomes quite attached to him so she tells a lie that uh he exposed himself to her as a uh, as a result of his rejection of her childlike advances and uh of course this uh, accusation gets taken very seriously and it quickly spirals out of control and he's got no way to defend himself really uh to respond to the accusation and what happens to his life as a result is 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 quite horrible he has this tight-knit group of friends they're a real boys club you know they go out hunting and swimming and drinking and they're very close and that all completely falls apart as his dad goes uh, or as his life goes into a spiral and uh, meanwhile clara tries to recant what she said but of course by this time it's gone too far they think that she's Trying to block out some memories or what have you, when in fact she's actually trying to tell the truth, and then nobody believes her, and uh, and so there's that battle between uh, the truth and and the fiction that uh, explodes out of proportion. And it's, uh, you know, I I don't want to say too much more about where the story goes, but it's 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 a pretty powerful film, and 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 Mickelson just plays it right down the middle, and he's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, he absolutely is. You, I think you'd have to be made of stone not to feel his outrage. You know, as as Lucas, he's. He's had his whole life. He's he's lived a, a, a you know a good life. He's a he's a decent man, and he's having his entire world destroyed. His relationships, he loses his job, his girlfriend, and a chance to be reconciled with his son, who's living with his ex wife. Um, and this is injustice, uh, where the, a well-meaning concern for a child's safety rapidly turns into that thing that we're. Well, not supposed to call it anymore, I guess, which is a witch hunt. Um, and uh, you know, he tries to make sense of it. The more he tries to make sense of it, the more his life falls apart. And uh, it's a great performance from from Mads Mikkelsen, once again showing showing someone who can you can really see what's going on beneath the surface with him. Uh, and I think the hunt. I mean, you you said it. It's it's a white knuckle intense drama. The suspense in the film is is so well. Put together, um, and it's an interesting film to see post Me Too. I think because now when the, we're hearing stories all the time of men, you know, women coming forward to talk about the men doing terrible things, um, about men abusing women, abusing other men, and abusing children. And this is a movie that shows the power of accusation when there's no basis in fact, and how destructive that can be. I think it's I think it's a useful film. Um, certainly, just you know, worth considering what uh how important it is that there is actual factual evidence and uh and honesty and truth you know the importance of truth i guess uh whatever the circumstance and uh yeah it's it's really it's really an impressive film the the hunt uh is on hoopla as well a lot of these movies we're finding on hoopla uh this episode which i'm thrilled about Hi, I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson, host of The Food Podcast. But you know what? It's not just about food. It's about people and their stories shared through the lens of food. The Food Podcast has been described as an audible fairy tale. How about that? You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So come join us. We would love to share
1: our stories with you.
0: So, today on Lens Me Your Ears, we are talking about Danish cinema. And uh, we are now in the 2000s. And talking about In a Better World is the next film we're going to discuss, also available on Hoopla. I saw this film first at the Oxford, the late lamented Oxford here in Halifax, uh, at what used to be called the AFF, the Atlantic uh, uh, Film Festival. And uh, it's a feature from Suzanne Beer, who is a Danish director. Oscar-nominated uh, after the wedding, and uh, sc- and then screenwriter Anders Thomas Jensen, another name we've already mentioned in this discussion. Um, now, Beer has had a lot of success in Hollywood. She directed uh, the Night Manager uh, miniseries. She directed The Undoing. She's she's uh, she's been working quite a bit in United States, but uh, she's made a lot of really interesting Danish films as well, and uh, she's had her films turned into Hollywood movies. She did, directed the original Brothers, and the original, as I mentioned, After the Wedding, which recently was remade in the United States, both of those films are remade. Uh, in a Better World is ostensibly the story of two, na- two teenage boys who respond in different ways to bullies, but the bond over the idea of writing and justice it's that's that's really the story of of this of this movie and and how we respond to bullies. Um, it's a it's quite a satisfying melodrama about power and its misuse. Now, one of the boys hates his father because he feels he didn't fight enough to keep his mother alive. Uh, she died. Uh, she dies, I guess, somewhere close to the beginning of the film. Uh, the other boy's father is a doctor who travels to sub-Saharan Africa to help refugees, and. The scenes of poverty and suffering there contrast with the scenes of privilege on display in rural and urban Denmark. Um, So watching this film again, you know, I found its thematic focus really interesting, but I struggled a little bit with the Danish perspective of Africa. I think it's very difficult for a Western director to tell a tale set in present-day sub-Saharan Africa and not have it seen somehow condescending. There is a concept, I understand, called Afro-pessimism, the idea that from a Western prism, nothing good comes from Africa. And uh, and that's, I think, kind of on display here, which is uh, which is too bad. But uh, the disparity between societies, violence versus nonviolence, that subtext I found interesting. And the performances, especially from the young actors, are strong. Um, what did you make of this,
1: Stephen? Yeah, I, I found it very powerful, especially anything that involved the young actors and uh, how they cope with the bullying they face at school and their reaction to it and then how you know by refusing to be victims they become the accused and it's you know it's sort of like the hunt it's there's this turnaround that happens uh with their characters and then there's you know it kind of goes into this almost sort of columbine territory when the the two boys go above and beyond just merely teaching a bully a good lesson and it's uh, it's it's kind of terrifying to to watch as as they go through it you know Christian uh the boy whose mother died you know we're, we're seeing kind of the makings of of a sociopath as as you know he takes out first you know when he's taking action against the bully and his kind of grim determination to come out on top and at all costs uh is 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 kind of chilling to see and you know there's a bit of a turnabout in him at the end of the film that i don't know is entirely earned it it, it wraps up maybe a little bit too neatly for everything we've gone through up to that point but it's it's still pretty powerful some great performances and uh again another look at you know how tightly wound uh, small town life can be in denmark uh when you know people are are, are so close over the years and what can happen when convention gets turned on its head and and uh it's, it's definitely worth seeing and again it's another hooplet title that you can watch for free with a with the library card
0: yeah no i liked watching it again and i although i did have more issues with it this time than i did the last time um suzanne beer is clearly a talented filmmaker and uh i, I mentioned some of the stuff she'd done in hollywood uh, she was also the director of bird box of all things yeah. which is a, a thriller unexpected success for netflix uh, she directed a film a danish film Called um, "Love Is All You Need," which I'd really like to recommend to people. We didn't watch it for our our little uh, Danish cinema roundup here, but uh, it's one of my favorites. It's a it's again it's a romantic comedy. It's mostly in Danish, but it also stars Piers Brosnan, and uh, it is it is light and and lovely, and it, it features I think it's shot partly in Italy, uh, but uh, it is also very dark and they're they're the lead character she's trying to recover from cancer and uh, and so you know you've got these these sort of what you would expect to be uh, elements that you wouldn't see in a in a romantic comedy in the United States but but somehow coexist in Danish cinema in a way that I really like so anyway that's that's another one for people maybe to consider Um, love is all you need is from 2012 Uh, another film from 2012 that is on Hoopla is A Royal Affair. This is a film directed by Nikolai Arsel, who is corrected, who's, he's credited as one of the writers on Writers of Justice. Now, A Royal Affair, another film that was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film Now, Best International Film at the uh, Oscars. It's told from the perspective of Caroline Mathilde, the British queen to Danish king Christian the seventh in the 1760s and 1770s Copenhagen. She's played by Oscar winner Alicia Vikander. So she's a Swede who's playing a Brit who speaks Danish for the bulk of the film. That's quite a balancing act <laughs> for her. She does pretty well, I think. But Vikander is a terrific, talented actor. Her Danish, I think, is pretty good. Now, I can't really speak to the accent, but uh, as much as I understand Danish, I, I was able to pick up most of what she was talking about. So, uh Christian, the king, is played by Mikkelbo Folsgaard. He's incredibly juvenile and probably mentally ill. It's a little hard to say, really, what his issues are, but he, he's emotional and unpredictable. So Caroline is miserable, but then the king takes on a personal physician, a German, named Johann Friedrich Streunze. He's played by Mads Mikkelsen. Once again, Mads is on the scene. The king really likes him and insists he helped make his queen, quote-unquote, more fun. And Caroline and the good doctor, they share a lot of philosophical opinions about the Enlightenment at a time when Denmark is deeply religious, deeply conservative. But the doctor and the queen see an opportunity to make changes by influencing the king, getting him on board as a changemaker. And along the way, of course, they fall in love. So you've got this almost bodice ripping period drama, and you've got these very attractive actors. But you've also got this really interesting piece of history, a time and place with progressive thought took hold in Denmark. Um, I like the film. It's a little austere in places. I think it suffers from some period drama tropes that that it could be, there could be more passion and more intensity. But uh, but in terms of revealing a, a time and place uh, his, in history, I, I really liked it.
1: Yeah, I think Arcel was trying to get away from some of the kind of costume drama cliches. You know, this, it's filmed in a very in very modern fashion edited in very modern fashion you, you you get a lot of sense of a handheld camera throughout the film just to so it just doesn't feel quite as stagey or stayed. but once you get people in bodices and hoop skirts and so on so, it's hard to it's hard to get away from from some of the the conventions of the genre but i i do like the fact that it is essentially about Denmark uh, how it developed its own identity in a way as being a progressive nation and being ahead of the curve, even at great expense to uh, the people involved. Apparently, there's about four or five films already uh, based on the events, which were very public. The affair between uh, the Queen and and the Doctor were uh, quite well known, as is shown in the film. It was in the press, and and everybody kind of knew about it. Um, But uh, how this kind of love triangle also... Is a cornerstone in in Danish history in terms of how it uh, how its national identity would take a, a very sharp turn during the Age of Enlightenment, and uh, I, I think it did a great job of balancing all those elements.
0: There is a definite irony that Strindza uh, one of the, one of his his uh, his changes was to influence the king to you know allow for publishing free publishing, and then of course that allows for. A press a, a gutter press a, a tabloid gossip press which of course comes back to bite him on the butt um yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here and, and i uh, i i really yeah i really liked it it was nice to watch it again again the actors are so charming and it it does have a tragic ending but uh but you know there was more here it it, it illuminated a lot more of, of danish history than i knew about and so i i appreciated that So uh, as we're coming to the end of uh, this episode of Lends Me Your Ears on Danish cinema, we watched one more film that we should mention before our time is up, also available on Hoopla, and that's The Charmer from 2017, directed by Milad Alami. And um, it is a striking character study, and I would say borderline thriller, that also serves as kind of a sensitive examination of a global issue the changes in immigration, uh, what's most impressive is I think the film does all of these things really well without compromising any of the other elements. And, um, and it's about Esmail, played by Ardalan Esma- Esmaili. He is an Iranian immigrant to Denmark. He's on shaky ground with his with his officer there. He's He's been there for two years. He's trying to get residence, but he's been kicked out of the place that he was sharing with a danish girlfriend and now he's in kind of a dorm of sorts with a lot of other potential new danes hoping for a break um but he wears a clean shirt and blazer when he goes to the bar looking for new connections with women uh he's Ismail has has soulful eyes he's good looking he's instantly sympathetic and he's confident he speaks danish quite well and he's clearly attracted to the opposite sex but uh The setup is kind of a fine line to walk because this position he's in makes him kind of predatory. A man whose ulterior motives goes a long way beyond what one would expect at a a pickup joint, I guess. Um, And and his history is shrouded. We don't really know what his agenda is entirely. We see that he makes calls to his family back home. They have expectations of him. That much is clear. And he sends them cash whenever he can from odd jobs. But... uh, but the the mystery of the film is quite the tone of it is is really well done I And mean, you don't really know from scene to scene where it's going as we slowly understand more and more what Esmail's uh, intention is. Uh, yeah I, I was so impressed with the charmer. I just was like this this was uh, was not uh, having seen so many films you know that that uh, in these Danish films that, that just are about Danish culture, uh, to To have one that that explores Iranian culture and its clash with the with the you know the, this immigrant story, I felt was was really eye opening.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad we watched this film. Esmail is a fascinating character, and and Ardalan Esmaili really gives him this emotional core that uh, keeps you with him all the way as you gradually learn more about, like you say, his motives and why he's there and. Um, you know, his relationship with his family back home and what their influence is over him and, and you know, how he's trying to do what he feels right is for his family but also for himself and those are not necessarily the same things. And uh, it's, you know, completely unexpected. You really don't know where this story is going to go and that's that's a big part of, of, of why it works. Uh, you just want to know how each situation is going to play out. It's, I believe, Alami's first uh, feature-length uh, drama, which is all the more remarkable considering how well uh, all the elements are handled in this film. And it's a great portrait of how insular Danish society can be, I guess, you know, it's a small country in Northern Europe and, and it's maybe a little slower to pick up on the immigrant experience. So uh, that makes this all feel really fresh as, as he's navigating these kind of uncertain waters so far away from his home in Iran. And it's just, it's just an amazing portrait uh, and and so very well told.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Denmark, I mean, having been there since I was a child, Visiting, um, it's very homogenous, too. They they haven't had a lot of change and a lot of immigration over over centuries. The the culture has remained the same, and uh, you know, and they they're very proud of of what they've accomplished. But uh, but it's and, and they're you know obviously very liberal. It's a socialist society, but uh, it also struggles to uh, allow for immigration and different. Cultural aspects to integrate, and I think that's what it's about. is that integration is a struggle for a lot of people, um, especially when the Danes are so proud of their their liberal values. And and uh, you know, their 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 when when issue when crime goes up, then a lot of people will point to these kinds of changes, and uh, and that makes for a lot of strife. And of course, it's the way of the world. Every the 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 migration across Europe. Has changed a lot of societies in Europe, and uh, and the the ones I think that are the oldest and and uh, the most homogenous maybe have the hardest time changing. Um, I'm I'm no expert, but uh, but that's the kind of thing I'm seeing anyway. And I think a, a movie like this really reflects some of those changes. Um, and I wanted to to point out uh, also great in the film is is a musician and artist, Soho Rezenajad. Uh she's a Dane with Iranian heritage and she is really good. She sees right through Esmail right away uh, and becomes a, a key part. She doesn't she's a little reluctant to get close to him, but then she can't quite help herself and 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 she invites him to be part of her Danish Iranian community, including meeting her mother, um, which is uh, which is really something that the, anyway, I, I really love the film. I hope people seek it out because it, I think it it uh, it explores a lot of things that are going on in Europe on on the grand scale that, uh, and not just specific to Denmark. And uh, yeah, again, available on Hoopla. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Lens Me Your Ears, our our look at uh, a number of films from Danish cinema. If you are interested in reaching out to us, we'd be happy to hear from listeners. If you have suggestions for topics or uh, comments on what we're doing, uh, we are on Facebook at Lens Me Your Ears. We're on Twitter as Lens Me Your Ears. And Stephen and I both have Twitter handles as well, as well. Stephen, what's yours?
1: I am at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E.
0: And my Twitter handle is named for my blog Flaw in the Iris Many thanks to CKDU for uh, the studio facilities when we are able to use them and of course for airing this program every second Tuesday at 5.30 on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax and also many thanks to our producers at the Village Soundcast Network Thank you for listening to us ramble about movies and we will ramble again very soon
1: See you next time